Hello and welcome to episode 130 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good, Mark, on this Father's Day Sunday. A pretty good ending to uh, this week for the Jays. It, it, you know, it wasn't looking too good, but all of a sudden, that second half of Game 2 and, of course, today in Game 3, definitely a little bit better and back to 500. Yeah, it looked disastrous until about the ninth inning of yesterday's game, and then Everything got a whole lot better from there. A miraculous comeback on Saturday, and then Sunday as we record this, the Blue Jays took that one 7-4. So, Jacob, how are you? Yeah, you know what? This team's doing well. I'm doing great. And best part is, is the good news might not even be over because it's currently Sunday night, but give it 24 or 48 hours, and we might even have some even better news going into a Miami series. Yeah, you're, you're of course, talking about the Springer news. Um, we anticipate Springer being back probably in that Miami series. Um, the Blue Jays made a move today, or they're planning to make a move to make room on the roster for someone like Springer. So we'll see if that actually pans out or if they're waiting a little bit longer, but we know that the minor leagues have an off day on Mondays, so we'll see what happens there. But bottom line, today, even just you know two, three days after we last recorded, things are looking so much better. Um, and this is kind of what we hoped for, what we anticipated going into a series against the Orioles, who are, as we know, have, what, the worst or second worst record in baseball. But after Friday's game, it looked kind of like disaster was setting in. Like, it looked like this team was dead in the water. It looked like there was no hope for the Blue Jays moving forward. But thankfully, we got those games on Saturday and Sunday. Um, what are some takeaways from this series for you guys? For me... It's probably the biggest one is today, Hinjun Ryu. Um, just his performance on the mound. We've talked about his struggles before, and he's, um, you know, his command has been off, his velocity has been down a little bit, and a lot of people have been concerned that this is an aging curve we've been so scared about. But today he came back out there. Yes, it's against the Orioles, but this is a team that, you know, had six home runs in yesterday's game. So came out, seventh inning pitched, three hits, one earned run, which was on a solo shot in the first. One walk, four strikeouts. It was a huge improvement over what he did last time out. That's the big takeaway from this series, for me at least. Yeah, and with Ryu, I'll just point out, only three hits, two of those after the first inning. So, he bounced back and he was fantastic. But one thing that I noticed is in, ga in Game 2, when you look at the run production for the Blue Jays, the top four in the order were absolutely, they were lights out for him. Marcus Simeon had three RBIs, Bichette had two. Guerrero had three, and then Gritchick had one, and a lot of those came in the later innings of the game. But these are the guys that you're paying big money to give you runs, and and you know this is what they did. They came in. Obviously, we know what happened in the ninth inning with Guerrero, Gritchick hitting go-ahead runs, Bichette with an what was it, seven straight foul pitches or fouled-off pitches, and yeah, bad of the finally, season. yeah. That must have been like ten minutes long, but that was a fantastic AB, and it, it showed that this team doesn't quit. They had a terrible ending to the first game in the series, and even before anything happened in the first inning, I was saying, you know what, this is a it's a new day. Let's see what this team can do. Didn't look the greatest at the start, but they rebounded, and obviously they won that game, and then they won the last game in the series. So that's what I'm looking at. Like the offense, it was a lot better. Bullpen, especially in game three, I thought was good. Trent Thornton did get a little roughed up, three earned runs in the one inning that he pitched, but Tyler Chatwood had a scoreless outing. Did look a little shaky in the start, four pitches or four pitch walk to start his outing, but then he got the the outs he needed, and it, it got the Blue Jays out of a jam or out of the game, 
And overall, it was a good series. Yes, it's the Baltimore Orioles, and you expect them to win. But I think coming into the series and after Game One, I don't think that anyone was expecting much of a of a winning series from the Blue Jays. But I'm happy with what I saw. It looks good. The offense was pretty good. Reese McGuire also he had a four for five game today on Sunday with two RBIs. I think we should give him a little bit of credit. He didn't really know what he was going to do coming into this season with Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk looking to be the two catchers, and they were the two catchers until both of them are actually on the IL right now. So give it to Reese McGuire. He he didn't really know what his position on the team was going to be, and he maybe it just took two injuries, but he's finally here, and he's showing that last season where he hit, I think, under 100 is not necessarily the production that we were going to get from him. Um, but that's, I think, the biggest takeaway for me is the offense. It was a lot better in this series, especially coming back from the New York series. And it wasn't even terrible in that series, but there were times when they just couldn't get it done or the bullpen didn't necessarily lock it down. And although that wasn't fully the case in all of the games, I, I will say that the the two wins in the series did show what the the Blue Jays won those games by being the Blue Jays, by out hitting your opponents and when you needed to, you get two you get good outings from your your pitchers. Yeah, I mean, it didn't start off good and that's what I mentioned right off the top. It didn't start off good and even in game 2, uh we all know kind of what happened. There's a bench clearing, the bench was cleared, Alec Manoa was tossed, it was 7-3. And uh it just <laughs> wasn't looking good and I was just sitting, I remember watching the game sitting there and kind of realizing, especially since we record every like at the end of every series of what the heck would we have like spoken about if the Jays lost this series and in the worst case get swept because it looked really bad from the start. It looked like they were going to at least get at least lose the series because it was seven three. But uh, hand in hand, they came back, they rallied back in the later innings. And then, of course, they won today as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to touch on the first game too much because we don't really need a recap of seven one loss to the worst team in the American League East. But that second game, like I said, right after the bench is cleared, pretty much a seven, eight, nine all scoring runs, a six run inning in the ninth inning, and that kind of led the way to uh, for the Jays to rally back. And I mean, everyone was kind of click- clicking at that point. Simeon had three RBIs, Bichette had two RBIs, Guerrero had three RBIs, Grichik had an RBI. Everyone was contributing, and of course, uh, Simeon homered a couple times as well, and Vladdy as well homered. The team went four for eight runners in scoring position. And um, I thought the bullpen managed to, I guess, hold the lead down in the later innings. And I go back to what I said the last time when we kind of, Mark and I disagreed with your take, Jacob, about how um, Dolis came in for Romano in that eighth inning or the ninth inning or whatever the heck it was. Guess who went back out for two innings and secured the save for not even the save, but in this case, secured the win for the Jays. That was Jordan Romano. You brought him in in the eighth inning and right away, Right when the Jays took that lead, you knew right away, nobody was warming up. The right thing to do, send them back out. And that's exactly what I said when we were talking about it. And that's exactly why they won that game. They went with their rest reliever, especially when it mattered, especially when they needed a win. After what the heck transpired in game one, and I guess in the sec- or the first half of game two, that was the best decision. And I was so thrilled when, when it happened. And of course, going into today, uh, the 7-4 win, 14 hits. And of course, a five-run fifth innings where it started because it kind of started off slow. And even with Hanjin Ryu, when you went on, when uh, Marky brought it up, it didn't look good in the first inning again. And I remember saying it to, I don't know if it was you guys or some other person I said it to, was something's up with this guy. And all of a sudden, he settled right back in and he looked like the Hanjin Ryu we, we knew. He went seven innings, one earned run at the end, four strikeouts, and like you guys mentioned, only three hits allowed 
and even his walks were down. Uh, but the prior his prior starts, he was he was walking multiple people, and today he only walked one guy. So encouraging to see for that. And of course, Tyler Chatwood, another one, didn't look good with the four pitch walk right away, but. I give him credit. He settled down. Perhaps he's moved past this rough patch. I'm not going to fully commit to that yet, but we are on the right track. And of course, it was also kind of nerve wracking because of the reliever beforehand when Trent Thornton came in, allowing three runs in an inning, and all of a sudden the Orioles got back into it. So that's when you were like, uh oh. And uh, we were holding on for dear life. But I mean, it didn't turn out to be that way. Of course, Chat would give up the uh, leadoff walk. And then, other than that, he settled down and uh, he didn't end up allowing a run. And that secured the win for the Jays. So now they. Go, they win two out of three against Baltimore. I still think they should have swept. But anyways, the way this team's been playing, I'm going to take two out of three. They're back to 500. That's, I guess, a positive sign. <laughs> I mean, it is. Now they're seven games back, so they made up a game. They did. But all of a sudden, now the Yankees are starting to win games too. So how convenient is it for the Jays to, I guess, get back to 500, but all of a sudden, they're trailing the Yankees now by three games as well. So now you have an off day tomorrow. You have another couple winnable games against Miami before you uh, host Baltimore and Buffalo. So you have two winnable games against Miami. George Springer appears to be back. I mean, we can't obviously confirm it, but Jeremy Beasley was sent down after today's game, and they're going to be announcing the corresponding move on Tuesday. That's pretty significant. And, um, you know, for the first time, I guess, all year, offensively, the Jays, it looks like they're going to have a healthy lineup. Of course, we're going to talk about where Springer's going to play, where Simeon's going to line up, all this. But, I mean, step one was to get back to 500. You have George Springer back now. You're in a stretch right now where the schedule is favorable. And now the Jays need to capitalize on these wins. So, if for sure, it was a successful two out of three. Now let's sweep Miami with these two games. And, of course, you have Baltimore on the weekend. Take two out of three again. Why not? Yeah, not to be a Debbie Downer here, but I do think that there are still, obviously, big problems with this oh, team. For sure. I think we saw it in today's game. Matt Harvey coming into today's game, his last seven starts, I think it was, he had an ERA above 14, if I'm remembering the, remembering the number correctly, and he only had one of those starts in which he gave up less than five runs. Um, he's been horrible. Like, there's no beating around the bush there, and I expected the Blue Jays to come out swinging, but for the early goings, for the first few innings, it seemed like they were really, really struggling against him, so... I still have concerns about the consistency of the offense. I still have concerns, obviously, about the bullpen. But by and large, the takeaways from this series are obviously incredibly positive. And Jacob, you mentioned Reese McGuire. That's another positive. Um, All around baseball, but especially the Blue Jays, have been struggling to get production from the bottom of their lineup. And having someone like Reese McGuire there in the bottom part who's really heating up, he has, over his last seven games, an average, uh, a batting average of 421, and he had, and he had three doubles today. So um, just an incredible performance from him, and it helps extend the Blue Jays lineup, especially when you consider um, George Springer coming back. If you get Lourdes Goriel in there regularly, of course, we had Teoscar Hernandez on the maternity uh, list, and he's coming back. So having all those guys back, extends the Blue Jays lineup and it helps them so so much um, in terms of consistency of the offense Um, another thing that helped them um, or appeared to help them this weekend was that ejection and and benches clearing brawl if you want to call it a brawl they didn't really fight but in game two on Saturday um, I think we're all on the same page here but Alec Manoa shouldn't have been tossed that much is clear to me I assume it's clear to you guys um, do you guys think that that was kind of, I know it's easy to rewrite history and look at this as a turning point 
so far in the season, but it seems like that moment really lit a fire under the Blue Jays and got them going. I don't know if that's really what it is, and I think it's convenient to be able to pin on it, it on that, but a lot of people have been doing that. So what do you guys think? You know what? I saw quite a few guys on that, not even just on the team, like on the active roster, but I saw coaches and I saw managers just as equally involved in that benches clearing brawl as the players. And I think that really was maybe the boiling over point of our pitcher struggling. You know, Alec Manoa, he was a, he was, he was actually very good. An ERA under three going into that start. Now it's almost, or it's above four considering that he only threw three and a thirds innings, but you have a guy that you're expecting to do well. You have a team that you're expecting to do well. And they just, I mean, obviously the team hasn't been performing well. And now you have your pitcher, not only not being the pitcher that you've you've seen all throughout the his first couple starts, but now he's being ejected for a reason that you don't think is very fair. And credit to the Blue Jays, you know, maybe this was really that thing where they say, "I think we're done with this. We can't lose a six straight game." If they had lost that game, that would have been their six straight loss, especially to the Baltimore Orioles. Like, no disrespect to the Orioles, but the Blue Jays would be the, the clowns of baseball if they got swept or lost that series. You can't have that happen. And look what you see. You see the Blue Jays get get an unfavorable call. Alec Manoa was not intentionally throwing at, at whoever it was. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was not an intentional throw. He was getting roughed up, and he's a rookie. He's made, I think it was four starts coming into that game. You're not going to go up and try to show up anybody by hitting them. The worst Alec Manoa is going to do is stare at home plate while he's rubbing the baseball but even that's really not bad. Like, n- nobody's taking any offense to that. So, to, for the Blue Jays, it's like, hey, you know what? This is not a good thing. We don't like this, and we're going to hopefully do something about it. And they rallied in the ninth, started from the lower half of the order, batted around, and they won. It was great. And I, like, I feel like it just, it was one of those things where maybe that was truly the tipping point. And maybe the, necessarily the loss in the previous game wasn't the tipping point, but it was okay, it's a new day today, and then they fall behind, and their pitcher gets thrown out, and it's like, we're done with this. Like, we can't keep doing this. We're supposed to be a contending team. We're supposed to have one of the top outfielders in baseball on our roster, and we're obviously they don't have Springer yet. They haven't had him for more than a couple games, but they're supposed to get him back, and they know that they're a better team than this. And, and to say, we're going to keep letting these little things add up and result in losses is just, it's it's not what the team's supposed to do. And they took control of it, Sort of. I mean, it was a it was a weird brawl. Like you could see the the Orioles, some of their their staff were like, "No guys, get get behind there," but or stay in the dugout. But then everyone else was just kind of beefing each other. And you see Guerrero pick up Freddie Galvis and pick him up, bring him back over to the dugout. And you see the managers; they're all in it. Like everybody was in this argument, and it was like, "We're done." Like fair enough. You want to say that that Alec Manoa intentionally threw at a guy? That's a load of BS if you ask pretty much anybody. Like, that that was not intentional. But either way, Blue Jays came back. Anthony K came into the game, I think, a little bit earlier than he was expecting to. But credit to the Blue Jays. They got themselves a win. And Alec Manoa, let's see where he can go from there. I think he'll be even more fired up because, especially after getting ejected for a terrible reason, the, the first thing I think that's on his mind is, I'm going to try and destroy the Orioles in my next start. But... Yeah, that was it was a fantastic way to kind of get into the middle part of the game. They eventually win that and then they win the second game or the the third game to win their second straight, but yeah, it was a you know, it was a weird situation, but 
maybe we can look back on at the end of a 10 game win streak and say that this was probably the the fuel to that fire absolutely it was and yeah i mean if orioles fans believe it was intentional i'm not gonna you know try and convince on my part to change their mind because i think we you know logically why would it make sense for alec manoa to do that so you know and for alec manoa now who's made what like four or five starts now i think i think it's five starts now he's had some good ones some bad ones the last thing he's doing in his rookie year is trying to start fights but obviously he's going to defend himself when the time comes and what was with that why was freddie galvis all of a sudden freaking out uh from the dugout i don't know what the heck was going on there i don't know who he was mad at was it manoa he was mad at but um yeah i thought that was a little i'm not going to say childish but like i i just didn't understand why he was so fired up i mean maybe it's the blue jays factor since he was here a few years ago and obviously he didn't last the year with them nothing against him but that's just the state of the team but um, I was a little shocked by that, but either way, I mean, whatever the heck happened, maybe that also motivates Manoa for his next start. Like you said, Jacob, maybe he's more motivated because I believe he will be uh, in line to start now against that next weekend against Baltimore back in Buffalo. But it definitely helped the team. I mean, it definitely lit a spark. It was seven three. Like it was, it, it, it looked bad. And at the point, it, you're at the point too where I was so close to turning off my TV. But after that bench clearing brawl, I wanted to. I I stayed tuned in for it. Maybe it was expecting more to happen later on. I guess there was always the chance. But either way, I mean, the only thing that happened was the Jays scoring eight runs in the last three innings. So, I mean, that was all that mattered the most. And for a team that needed a spark, we know George Springer's coming back. That's going to be a spark. They needed something. Like, especially in that game alone, they did. And maybe that that, that was the case. But, yeah, it's just been these two, or th- this past weekend alone, just going over the stress of what if the Jays get swept by the Baltimore Orioles. And I remember I joked about it with you guys, I guess at the beginning of the series and it actually like for a glimpse day or two, not even maybe a game and a half, it felt like it was actually heading towards that direction. And even with Matt Harvey today, who had a good start, like he didn't have a good start, but he had a good start to his appearance or his outing, like through the first three innings, he was good. And all of a sudden you're like, like how is Matt Harvey with a 776 ERA shutting us down? And of course, the Jays bared down in the fifth inning. So thank God for that. But yeah, just there's a whole whack of things this um, over the past of the week or, or the course of the weekend. And Dan Shulman, who is a friend of the podcast, um, I thought he had a really good stat, and I'm sure you guys saw it as well with Bo Bichette, because I believe you guys mentioned it too at the beginning of how long his at bats have been. Um, he pretty much tweeted a stat saying Bo Bichette has fouled off 278 pitches this season, which is more than anyone in baseball, and his foul ball percentage is the second highest behind only uh, Yerman Mercedes and the White Sox. So he's on pace for 30-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs. He's on pace for a good season. We know that he loves swinging for the fences, it looks like at least, but I give him credit. I didn't even know, I didn't even realize the amount of foul balls he has hit this year, and I guess all the at-bats he's been in, working the counts and all that, so... It just over the course of the weekend, it was it started off very stressful, but near the end, it was almost like a sigh of relief that the Jays did this. And now, I like I mentioned too, you got a two game series with Miami. They got to capitalize on this. They have no choice. And you're getting George Springer back. The excuses for the offense are going to slowly start running out since they're getting healthy. And it looks like too by the bullpen, people are slowly starting to get uh, healthy as well from there in terms of Ryan Barucki, Julian Merriweather, who are very important pieces to this bullpen. So hopefully by the end of the month too, we see at least one of them back. Yeah. Um, Getting Springer back presents its own sort of conundrum for the Blue Jays because, as we've mentioned, the lineup can certainly use someone like Springer. It's going to make it a lot deeper and a lot longer. But adding Springer 
gives the question of where do you put him in the lineup? And a lot of people have been thinking about this, and really no one, in my opinion, has come up with a good answer to this question. And earlier today, Charlie Montoya was asked about where George Springer is going to bat when he comes back, and he actually said in the five or six hole probably, um, in the beginning until he gets going. Um, he said he's hesitant to touch the top three of Simeon, Bichette, and Guerrero because it's been clicking so well so far this season. Uh, that's different from what I expected. I always expected, I think this was a lot of people's expectations, that George Springer would be leading off no matter what, no matter how well other people are doing. This is a guy you're paying $150 million. Like, you're paying him that money for a reason. He is right now going to be the face of the franchise with the exception of maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, you need to treat him like that and put him in the leadoff spot where he's played before. That was my expectation going into this, whether that's the right move or not. That's what I thought was going to happen. Maybe it was an easier conversation to have when Bo Bichette wasn't as hot as he is right now. You put um, Springer at number one, Simeon at number two, you move Bo Bichette to the five hole. Um, and then Grishik to the six hole, Guriel to the seven hole, or maybe you mix in Biggio there to switch up the, the lefty righties, and then Lourdes Guriel Jr. eight, and then... Reese McGuire, Riley Adams, or whoever it is, number nine. Um, that would be my ideal lineup when I thought he was going to be leading off. But honestly, if he is okay with hitting fifth or sixth when he's starting out, um, if the Blue Jays are okay with that, um, if they kind of have that conversation and say, look, this is the best thing for our team, I'm okay with that. I think it helps the Blue Jays to give him kind of easing it into the situation it helps the Blue Jays to not mess with those guys at the top of the order um, and honestly George Springer is kind of a run producer he's someone who you know we saw it in only his brief stint with the Blue Jays so far he hits a lot of home runs um, to have a guy like that in the leadoff spot seems kind of like wasting situations wasting RBI that you could drive in so I think moving him to the fifth spot at least to start is a good move um, long term, I think we're going back to what I said. It's going to be Springer number one, Simeon number two, moving Boba shut down. Um, but I think for right now, that's how it's going to look, and I'm okay with that. One thing I will say is I feel like George Springer would pitch if it meant he could get into the game at this point. Like, I, I feel like I feel bad for him. Like he he's missed almost half of the entire season, half of his first season with the Blue Jays, but. Anyways, going on to where he fits in the lineup, that's interesting that Charlie Montoya actually said that, but I actually do think it makes a little bit of sense. Now, going into the season, the Blue Jays had two leadoff hitters. They had Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette, who, or, and George Springer, excuse me, because Springer led off with the Astros. The th thing is, is when you take those two, I initially thought it was going to be Biggio 1 and Springer 2 because of the fact that Springer is more of a power hitter and more of a drive guys home type of player whereas Biggio is more of the guy I think last season he did lead the Blue Jays in on base percentage so you get a guy like Biggio get on first base get on second or whatever and then Springer can drive him home I, I thought that was what the plan would be obviously that's not necessarily been the case this season and I don't really think that you take Simeon Bichette and Guerrero and change anything especially considering I mean Marcus Simeon's had a bit of a drop off since his his fantastic may but you're still not going to touch somebody like him and i'd be like if i was marcus simeon and i hear and charlie montoyo comes to me and says look we're paying george springer this money he's going to take your spot in the leadoff spot i would honestly feel disrespected like i would 
because Marcus Simeon is not the type of guy that you want to switch just because you're paying somebody else a little bit more and you're, you have him locked up long-term, but ideally, so I'm looking at their lineup today, which the top three was Simeon, Bichette, Guerrero, and then after that, it was Hernandez, Grichik, and Biggio. I think what you, you do is maybe you put Springer fifth, Grichik sixth, and then you put Biggio uh, then it's whoever it is, Guriel, Espinal, Maguire, like y- you figure it out. Obviously, uh, Guriel's probably going to play most of the games. I don't see him sitting out many games. Espinal might see a bit of a reduction in playing time because Biggio, the only reason he was able to play today and o- over the last couple games is because Biggio has been in the outfield. And you, once you do that, the way I see it is you have Springer in center, Guriel in left, Teoscar Hernandez in right, perhaps Grichik in right or DH or whatever like I don't think you take him out even if though he's hit under 200 this month I still think you give him a chance to see if he can still level himself up a little bit but yeah in terms of right now I would put him in the fifth spot and then just work from there whether it's Grichik underneath him or Grichik Guriel after him and then Maguire or whatever it is but ideally I would have him in the two spot probably what I would potentially do then that also has a bit of a problem because then where, where do you put Bo Bichette? And to be completely honest, I think the best thing we can do is just say, we'll figure that out when we get to it. But if I were to predict it now, I would, the way I would probably have it, assuming Marcus Simeon stays with the team for this entire season. I know there've been some, some tra- not necessarily trade rumors, but trade discussions happening among fans on Twitter. But assuming Simeon stays with the team all season long, what you potentially have is Marcus Simeon 1, George Springer 2, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 3, and then maybe Bo Bichette 4, and then you just push everybody else down a spot. I don't know if I want to do that. Like, that's the tough thing. Like, you've you've gone through almost half a season, and this has worked for you to varying degrees, but it's worked for you. And it's tough to say, okay, well, we're just going to implant George Springer into this lineup because we have to. And I mean, they do have to. Like, obviously, they're paying him $28 million this year. They've missed out on him for half the season, but the, I feel like that's just the best way to put it. Is you, For now, Springer is your number five hitter, but ideally you're trying to work him into your number two spot, and then you're, you're not touching Guerrero. Guerrero's leading the league in home runs. He's an MVP candidate. He's probably the forefront of the MVP race right now, unless Shohei Otani gets a couple extra votes, but you're not moving him, and that's why I would probably put Springer above I would put Springer above Guerrero because you're not moving Guerrero and, you know, that's the better spot to to put Guerrero in and he's been successful all season, but it's going to... I do not envy Charlie Montoyo and these players having to discuss this because it's going to be hard. Like, uh, for some guys to say you're going to be moved down to a spot that you're not used to in the lineup because somebody else has veto power, it's it's not going to be easy, but, uh, yeah, just... I, what I think will happen now is you'll see Springer in the five spot for depending on when he comes up, if he comes up for the first game in Miami, then for that whole series, and then possibly most of, if not all of the Baltimore series after that, and then the Blue Jays will go from there. Possibly move him up, but may, who knows? Maybe he stays in the five spot all season long, which isn't even a, a, a bad option considering the Guerrero, Hernandez, the run producers, and the, the guys that can get on base for you above him because he could still send those two home also. Like, Let's not forget that like Guerrero and, and Hernandez are going to hit their home runs, but they can also hit their doubles and their singles, and they can get on base, and then Springer can drive them home. So 
one thing's for sure. This lineup is sure as heck going to be deep. Like, I, it, it almost reminds me of the 2015 Blue Jays, just with a little bit more of a small ball mentality. It's, it, it'll be a deep lineup, and just ha- getting Springer back, whether he's hitting two, whether he's hitting five, whether it's six, is just it'll be a huge sigh of relief for everybody, for Springer and for the team and for the fans because we've been wanting to see him. And he's like he not we want to see him because he's a good player and that's the thing, he'll be and he'll be a good player. So I'm just I'm excited to see him wherever he's in in the lineup. Yeah, I mean my opinion stays the same going back to spring training. Uh, I think George Springer's the leadoff hitter on this team. However, do I think he starts in the leadoff position? Uh, I agree with you guys on that. I think he does start five six because right now it is hard to take out Marcus Simeon from the leadoff spot. But if you do and if it gets to that point, like I don't think Semyon should be disrespect or feel disrespected from it. I just think it comes to the point where you all feel you're putting your best lineup on paper and it was supposed to be George Springer this entire time. But right now, um, I, it's so hard to, I guess, think about tweaking the lineup and moving Simeon out of there. But I do think by the end of the season, I mean, I don't know how long it'll take. I do think eventually Springer will lead or end up back at one. And I don't know if you guys heard this idea too, but Pat Tabler was talking about it on the broadcast where he had, and I know, yes, Mark knows this. I can already see about your reaction. And a lot of people were, were kind of, especially me, I was very confused by it, but he had the idea of Marcus Simeon batting ninth, followed by George Springer at one. And the problem with that is we all know is that you're obviously not guaranteed to have four at-bats in the ninth spot. You're kind of taking the chance you- of... Yeah, where do you start with the problems with that? Yeah, exactly. There's, so There's a lot of problems, problems there. Pat. But, I mean, Pat went on about it for about a, at least a minute and a half. He was pretty uh, confident with it. I mean, I guess I understand the creativity behind his thinking, but I would be shocked if I ever saw that. So I do think Simeon stays at one, um, and then Springer, I think, eventually goes back to one. I have a few things that I just want to stay the same, and that is for Biggio to stay within the bottom three. I want Teoscar Hernandez to stay at four because I think over these past two games as well, we kind of got the importance. And we kind of, and even back in April when Teoscar was out for most of the month uh, due to COVID, is that how much his lineup does mean to this offense. And it's not really, you know, it is talked about, but obviously you're talking about Springer, Guerrero, Bichette. And sometimes you're not always talking about Teoscar. And I think a lot of people sometimes forget the importance of his lineup in the cleanup or his, his bat in the cleanup spot. So that's what I want to stay the same. There's been other ideas, maybe... Um, Simeon stays I mean I've also seen a a concept where Simeon and Vlad swap where Vlad goes two, Simeon goes three and then of course Bo Bichette I think we got to talk about that too is maybe eventually he moves down to five or six and then Simeon does stay at the top of the order but not leading off there's so many different directions you can go in but I just want those things I mentioned or what I want to for sure happen and I think besides that you could be very creative with any possible concept but um, yeah, I mean, you can go Simeon in the middle of the order, which we did see for a brief time when he was removed from the leadoff spot because he was struggling originally. And you can see Simeon go down there as well, or sorry, Bichette, who I think we're talking about. And you can keep Simeon and Spring at the top of the lineup. There's so many scenarios where you can put this in, except for Simeon batting ninth. I just, there's no way that happens. And I'm, I really hope Charlie Montoya doesn't get any, get any ideas from that. But yeah, I do think though, in the long run, I don't know how long it'll take that Springer is the leadoff man on this team. Just because, too, those last four years, he kind of has designated himself as a leadoff hitter back in Houston those past four years. So that's why I just think he's most comfortable in leadoff. And he said that multiple times going back to his introductory uh, press conference back in the winter when he signed here. So that's that's where I uh, think about it for uh, Springer. If there is one way 
to guarantee that Marcus Simeon does not <laughs> re-sign with the Blue Jays after this season. It is to bat him ninth. It's just, I'm I'm at a loss. I know I, it was. Great. I know it Tabby has. I, I know they all have questionable opinions. You know, Tabby is most guilty of that, but Buck as well. But <laughs> that just blows it out of the water. That's like right up to number one on the stupid opinions. Yeah, it's list. up there. It's, yeah. yeah See, I don't I, mind. I don't mind the creativity, but I would rather if you're gonna be. A little bit unique with what you do i would put kevin biggio in the nine spot yeah because like there's yeah, a difference like a, between mm-hmm. and i would support that as well activity yeah. and stupidity mm-hmm. you don't put a power hitter in your nine spot like uh, big brain moment for pat tabler <laughs> <laughs> anyways yeah it's uh it's a jigsaw puzzle for sure the blue jays will be struggling to figure it out over i i'm sure it's going to be weeks that they're figuring this out it's not going to be a one day or one week thing it's going to be a process, as with anything, and we'll play the hot hand and see how it goes. But uh, the Blue Jays also have other incoming players. Um, we learned tonight, just before we recorded, that John Axford has signed a deal with the Blue Jays pending a physical. Um, it's a minor league deal, we assume. I don't think we've actually got confirmation of that, but it would be idiotic if it was anything but that. Um, and the Blue Jays also traded for Jacob Barnes, a reliever on the Mets. They sent prospect Troy Miller the other way for him. Um, neither of these guys are big names, obviously. Like, John Axford hasn't pitched in the majors since 2018. The only reason he's signing with the Blue Jays is because he impressed in his Team Canada um, Olympic qualifier games um, a couple weeks ago. And then Jacob Barnes, like, he's sporting an ERA of 6.27 this season. Um he was strong in 2018. That was his last really good season. Neither of these guys are big names, but if I'm being honest, this is exactly what I wanted the Blue Jays to do. When we talked, I guess it was a week ago now, saying the Blue Jays have to make moves. They can't afford to go through this series against the Yankees and against the Orioles without doing anything. These were the moves I was talking about. I wasn't expecting moves for guys like, I don't know, Craig Kimbrell or um, Devin Williams or... Um, I don't know, you know, those big names. I wasn't expecting moves for those guys because it's going to be very expensive. And the Blue Jays aren't going to be in the market for someone like that, especially this far away from the trade deadline. But even small pickups like this, so the Blue Jays can A, work their magic, Pete Walker can do what he does best and try to turn these pitchers around, and B, just fill in the depth in the bullpen. They desperately need extra arms, and it's a domino effect. Adding one guy, even if he's not that great, like Jacob Barnes, has a domino effect in that, okay, if Jacob Barnes comes in in a blowout situation, that saves Trent Thornton from coming in, and Trent Thornton coming in in a situation that's slightly better saves I don't know, Anthony Castro from coming in. It gives these guys less pressure to perform in these situations. It gives Charlie Montoya more options and Ross Adkins more options in terms of who to send up, who to bring down. Um, It just opens up a world of possibilities, even if these guys individually aren't that great. So this is exactly what I wanted the Blue Jays to do. John Axford deal is a little bit questionable. Of course, it's a minor league deal, but I'll be interested to see how that goes. But... um, there's no complaining about this. I think it's it's exactly what the Blue Jays needed to do, and and even if it doesn't work out, it doesn't really cost them anything. Mm-hmm. And this is just the this is like if if I feel like if we had to describe the Atkins and Shapiro regime 
with one sentence, it would probably be something like Blue Jays acquire Jacob uh, Barnes. Because, like, at the end of the day, they're, they're constantly acquiring lower leverage, not lower leverage, but lower risk guys, and somehow they turn them into fantastic pitchers. Go back to 2016, they acquired Jason Grilly, Joaquin Benoit, and both of them were fantastic down the stretch for them. Look at last year, Taiwan Walker, who I'm still sad is not with them anymore, but you look at the moves they made and it worked for them. The, the, Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, they know what they need and, and they're not going to go out and give you, they're, like, they're hardly ever going to go and make a blockbuster move like signing George Springer. It's appreciative, like I like it, but what we're most uh, most of the time what we're gonna see is moves like this. And I mean, I'm looking at J- Jacob Barnes's career stats and his first season with Milwaukee, a 2.70 ERA in 27 games. After that, it was a 4 ERA in 73 games, still with the Brewers, and then it was a 3.33 ERA in 49 games with the Brewers. So overall, with the Brewers, it was decent, sort of up and down, but not bad. But since then, his ERA has been over seven. It's been close to seven, you know, six eighty six, eight thirty one, five fifty. Like it's it's just been kind of all over the place, but it's an option, and it's somebody that, worst case, it doesn't end up working out for the team. It's not like they give up a huge prospect for him, and if it works out, it works out. Even if he is only a guy that comes out comes out in blowouts or eats two or three innings when your starter gets rocked, it like you said, Mark, it saves. Trent Thornton it's it saves whoever from needing to do that and I think one of the problems is you see a lot of the Blue Jays higher leverage guys having to be used in not only the high leverage situations but the other situations because they just they needed arms and they needed someone to pitch and I'd rather my better arms pitching than somebody that's struggling but yeah whatever I mean it, the both moves I mean we expect Jacob Barnes is going to be on the team he's probably going to join them in Miami John Axford's a little interesting. I'd like to see. It's currently just past 10 p.m. tonight, so not sure we'll hear too much about that until probably sometime during the weeks. But I'm interested to see what he's able to do. He was DC. He was he was okay with the Blue Jays in 2018, a 4.41 ERA, and then with the Dodgers only in five games, he had a 7.7, 17, 17.18. That's a lot of numbers on that ERA. But his ERA was not the greatest with the Dodgers, but whatever I mean major league is not the only time he pitches obviously he was decent with team Canada and his fastball was getting up to higher 90s but both are interesting moves and I'm excited to see what if anything they're able to do for the Blue Jays going down I mean who knows what happens like maybe they get Ryan Barucki and and Julian Merriweather all these guys back and who knows what happens maybe they pitch or maybe they don't even pitch after that maybe they're just here kind of to bridge the gap until then, or maybe they stay, maybe they go to the minors and get stretched out, or maybe not stretched out, but just to get some work in, I don't know, but not bad moves, Uh, I'm excited to see what they're able to do, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that like, it's not going to light the radars up on ESPN or MLB Network, but it's one where, hey, you're in the, the last game of the season and you need to qualify for the playoffs with the win, maybe this is somebody that's been reliable for you, and was able to be reliable because it was a very under-the-radar move that just it ended up working out for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not excited with this at all. Um, it's something that I think Jacob nailed on the spot, though. It's expected in a way. It's just kind of weird how John Axford was on my TV uh, talking about the Blue Jays on Blue Jays Central <laughs> not even a month ago. So that's going to be a little uh, interesting to get used to. I assume he's going to start in the minors somewhere possibly just uh, begin at triple a. I don't know how they'll yeah, handle ben, that. 
Ben Nicholson did confirm that it is a minor league deal. Yeah, so that makes sense. I mean, if he jumped right into the MLB, talk about desperation. But even with these signings as well, I mean, Jacob Barnes, we know uh, you guys went over his numbers, hasn't been the greatest. And uh, perhaps he's a guy that, I mean, I'm sure we'll see him at some point this year, maybe soon within the next couple of weeks. But perhaps he's a guy that Pete Walker can work with and kind of turn around a bit. I mean, I hope this isn't the only thing that they do, and I don't expect it to be. Um, I still think this is a year where they can go all in at the deadline, not all in, but I should say make some noise at the deadline and take that next step unless they don't, they are not interested in it. I mean, Ross Atkins confirmed today that they are interested in adding. And right now, unfortunately, the market's just dry. Like they, he pretty much flat out said that nothing's really available right now to them, but they are actively looking at it. So, and of course they're also looking at starters, which is good, but closer to July, um, maybe mid, mid, middle of July, they got to be making more moves than this. And you got to be going after people that are going to help your bullpen. I mean, people with good numbers, that's all I want to see from them. But if they're going to start off by this, I have no problem with it. It's just very interesting, especially the John Axford one where, I mean, he obviously impressed at the uh, Olympic qualifiers for Team Canada. And Mark, you were the one that mentioned his velo was up around 96, 97. So I guess that's something to be, um, um, you know, I guess looking forward to in a way like, it just, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, his last game was September 21st of 2018, and that was against the Padres. And it wasn't the greatest uh, outing for him. I think it was three hits and one earned run, and he didn't record an out. But either way, he's here now. He's going to be off Blue Jay Central. He'll be on TV in a different way, back as a actual pitcher. And uh, Jacob Barnes, like I mentioned, I'm, pr- I'm sure we'll see him eventually within the next couple of weeks. And um, you, you hope that he can help out in some way because this bullpen is desperate for arms. And I'm sure this is not even close to the last of, I guess, the Jays or inquiring about adding pitching. So that's what i am um, got my fingers crossed for in terms of making more noise at the deadline if they decide to pursue that way of taking that next step and buying. Uh, we will wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, you can support our podcast by following us on social media at Section138Pod. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash section138pod. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Just help spread the word about what we're doing. And then lastly, as always, our videos um, of our podcasts are up on YouTube, so you can watch the episodes there. Um, So thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. Hopefully the good times keep going um, through this series against Miami and then later that series against Baltimore, the four-game set in Buffalo. But until then, we'll catch you next time.